Eric Roberts is a fucking man He's the greatest fucking actor since acting began We should give him every medal, every trophy and award He's the greatest fucking actor that you've ever seen or ever heard Ricky Tiki Tavi, it's episode number 43 of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man, the world's most investigative Eric Roberts related podcast. I'm Doug Tilly, and joining me this evening is the returning co conspirator of the show, Mr. Liam O'Donnell, finally back from shirking his duties as Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man's co host to care for his newborn child. How are you doing, Liam? Uh, I'm good. I'm a little. How's fatherhood, Liam? It's exhausting, but great. It's. It, it, it... It's funny because um, I was one of those people who could be very cynical. Uh, you know, someone posts uh, like, oh, you know, my child changed my life, love, all that stuff. But that's all that all of that is real. But the part that they don't post is like, oh, getting no sleep, feel sleep deprived, probably going to mm-hmm. jump out a window. That part is not necessarily in there. So uh, she's beautiful and amazing. I am so tired. So You're tired. So tired. Mm-hmm. Now, my understanding, and this is just from some research I've done and maybe some, some of my own friends, is that usually when a couple have a child, sure. uh, it starts to create friction within the relationship itself between uh, the parents of that child. So are you and your wife having any trouble? <laughs> no, not yet. I'm sure eventually. I mean, it's inevitable, right? Well, yes, because you're probably – now, is it a 50-50 split on who's taking care of this child? Um. I, you know, at first, definitely now I'm back at work. So I think, mm. you know, I, 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 I have some more time away, but that's, it's also like not fun for me. Like I'm not at work. Like, Oh, thank God. Ugh. I'm more like, Oh, I wonder what, I wonder what little Maeve is doing right now. I wonder mm-hmm. how she's doing. And the cats in the cradle. And the <laughs> silly spoon. Uh, now tell us your child's name again, Liam. Maeve. Maeve. Like again, like Maeve Benchy, the author. Rest, sure, yes. The authoress. And what's the full name of this child? Uh, Maeve Patricia Tyndall O'Donnell. Now, shouldn't you really say, Maeve Patricia Tyndall O'Donnell? <laughs> I, I mean, as we've discussed before, half of me is very Irish. Very, very <laughs> And the other half? Uh, Puerto Rican. Swarthy Puerto Rican. You, you really need to use swarthy. I know in Canada you're not used <laughs> to having to deal with these sorts of things, but uh-huh. you want to say swarthy less. Oh, I see. <laughs> you sound like one of those social justice warriors. To me. <laughs> yeah, well All right, okay, you got to shut up. Okay, our guest. <laughs> no, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Our guest today is the co-host and producer of the Splat House podcast. He is an actor, writer, producer, and now he's visiting us on Eric Roberts is a Fucking Man. It's Mike Delaney. How are you doing today, Mike? What's up? Ricky Tiki Tembo, No Surrendo, Chari Bari Rucci, Pip Perry Pembo. That's my little rap at the beginning. I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. I didn't, I didn't know you had a rap prepared, and I have to say I'm very impressed. Mike, what are your thoughts on Eric Roberts, the actor? Um, you know, I have never really been a big, huge fan of Eric Roberts, oh. the actor. I do love, of course, like Runaway Train, The Pope of Greenwich mm-hmm. Village, um, the Larry Cohen, the underseen Larry Cohen masterpiece, The Ambulance. Yes. But uh, until I learned about this podcast and Mr. Tilly, I had no idea that there was this cult to Eric Roberts. 
but um, I've I've grown to appreciate him. He's very he's very he's sexy. I'll I'll give him that. I'll t- I'll uh, Mike, I, I'm a I'm aware of our download numbers, so I can tell you there is not a cult of Eric Roberts out there. <laughs> <laughs> However, we have to persevere. And again, you've listened to a couple of episodes, and Liam can tell you, Mike, why we have to persevere and watch all projects related to Eric Roberts. Why is that, Liam? We took a blood oath. We took a blood oath to watch all media. And I've really, really expanded it to all media because one of our features being covered today, uh, it features Eric Roberts in a non-visual way, <laughs> by which I mean, by which I mean, we hear his voice, but we do not see his, uh, as you just mentioned, Mike, his lovely, sexy face. Right. Um, I, I will say that. Uh, that one of the projects that we're going to be talking about today, my wife was watching it while I was watching it, and uh, she is not a fan of Eric Roberts' hair. Now, I want to get your take on this, Mike. What do you think about the Eric Roberts' hair? I do like his hair a lot. hundred percent honest, uh, hand to God, I like Eric Roberts' hair. Me too. I think it's yeah. a fine head of hair. Now, Liam, compare it. To, I don't know much about your own hair, Liam, but comparing it to your own, who wins? Oh, me, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why is that then? Uh, because Eric Roberts is usually rocking some sort of like ridiculous mullet and, uh, I look smooth and sexy. All right. Fair enough. Back to you, Mike. Mm-hmm. What's this Splat House podcast all about? Uh, Splat House podcast. It's a spinoff, uh, that we came up with this last year. I have a theater company here in Oakland. Um, we do stage and film hybrid productions of classic B drive-in films where we do wow. uh, 50% of the, the show on stage. We do the other 50% in, uh, in film. Um, it's, it's really hard to get some projects going to, uh, to find rehearsal spaces, to, to mount the shows, to, to pay for them, essentially, to, uh, to produce them. So to keep the conversation alive um, with our friends in, around cult cinema, we came up with this podcast where um, each week we profile a different cult or B movie. We talk to the filmmakers, the actors. Um, we do comedy sketches uh, around around the film. We have a, a game show. It's just a lot of fun. Just good good time to hang out with my friends uh, and talk to some folks that I admire. Now, who are these friends that you do this podcast with? Oh, my co-host and partner is Ms. Sarah Quakendall. She um, helped found the company with me in... 2012, when we did a production of The Sadist, <laughs> we, were, uh, we were doing a production of Titus Andronicus, the, the Shakespeare show, and one mm-hmm. of the twins looked exactly like Arch Hall Jr., <laughs> and I would, I would sit backstage and the, just stare at, uh, I, I think it was Demetrius, I would just stare at him, and I'd be like, that motherfucker looks just like Arch Hall Jr., and you have hours and hours backstage, so I eventually came up with the idea of, oh shit, we should remake The Sadist, there's only like five people in the whole thing and we could cast it just right out of this room and we could uh we could perform it right in this space and we could shoot um the exteriors of the junkyard etc and uh yeah we put it all together and from there we did uh ega because again we had a guy who right? looked just like archal jr <laughs> look if you're cursed with looking like archal jr <laughs> then you need to take advantage of that fact oh and not only do you look like archal jr the motherfucker's name was Michael McDonald, so he had to he had to suffer through all those Yamo be there Doobie Brothers. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's how we started. And then uh, last year we did a full production um, of Plan Nine from Outer Space. We did it as a a, a sexadelic '70s glam rock extravaganza with uh, film and stage work. It was pretty cool. That sounds 
Extremely cool, actually. Now, Mike, you were very involved in the choice of what projects we're going to be covering on this episode. Yes, sir. Yes. Now, uh, I'm just going to reveal to the audience, and they probably already know, we watched two episodes of CSI, which is a television program. I believe it stands for Crime Scene Investigation. <laughs> it takes place in, in Las Vegas, Nevada, which is in your country. Uh, and we also watched a film. What was the film called, Mike? It's called Amityville Death House. Amityville Death House. Yeah. Now, what, what made you choose these two projects for us to watch? If I am being completely honest, I went, you, you, you instructed me very clearly. You said, uh-huh. take, a, take a look at the long list of Eric Roberts projects and uh, choose two. Like, get back at me. So I went down the list and I saw Amityville Death House. I, I just scrolled mm-hmm. past. I got past all the, uh, the in-production ones, right? There's like 300 that he has in production right now. <laughs> Thank so you get, for not picking one of those. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, yeah, I'll get to that in a second. But, uh, but I scroll down and then the first one I saw where I had some kind of name recognition and I liked the poster. I, I choose a lot of media based on posters was Amityville death house. Um, yeah. And then CSI came because you said, and also a TV project. And, uh, I just kind of scrolled to, there was a TV show that I knew I was somewhat familiar with and, um, I knew I could stomach watching more of it. So that's where, uh, CSI came from. We'll see if your prediction came to pass. <laughs> yeah. We're going to be talking about those projects in just a moment. But before we do that, we need to talk about the latest Roberts Report. It's the Roberts Report for episode number 43 of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man. And as per usual, we're going to start with a deep dive on Eric Roberts' Twitter feed. Yes, uh, you can find Eric Roberts on Twitter at Eric Roberts. Hmm, pretty easy. Recently, on February 14th, the Day of Love. By the way, Liam, how did you celebrate Valentine's this year? I drove to Philadelphia and purchased donuts and pizza for my wife and brought them back. She is a lucky woman. Mm-hmm. Recently on the Eric Roberts Twitter feed, he's been writing some coined phrases, meaning that these are <laughs> phrases phrases that the man himself have come up with. Uh, and one of them is, again, posted on February 14th, coined phrase, leave him gasping for more, not gasping for air. <laughs> Mike, thoughts? Thoughts on that, Michael? I, I don't know. I need to process that. Uh, leave him gasping for more, not mm-hmm. gasping for air. Yes. What he, I think, again, I don't want to speak for the man. I, right. I wouldn't dare. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking that he's talking about acting. Uh, and maybe what he wants is mm-hmm. uh, he's suggesting that instead of, I guess, killing the people watching your project, okay. that you instead underplay the role. And so everyone's like, oh, I'm glad he didn't kill us. And I want to see more of him. Yeah. I mean, if that's the context that, that you're giving me, then, you know, I'd say it's a pretty profound quote. Way to go, Eric Roberts. You coined that one. Way to go, Eric Roberts, is the theme of this episode of Eric Roberts (laughs) is the fucking man. Recently, now, if you're a fan of Eric Roberts, then you, of course, are probably already following him on Twitter. And if if you're following him on Twitter, then you know he regularly interacts with two amazing, famous people. Liam, do you know who they are? No, I don't. One of them is the tremendous David Duchovny. (laughs) Yeah. The other is, of course, the legendary songwriter and performer... Richard Marks, uh, who some of you might remember from like the early 90s, I guess. <laughs> um, 
I he had that song right there waiting, didn't he, Liam? Yeah, I'm a big fan. Right Good. there waiting for Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, Mike gets it. He sings the song when I make a reference to yeah. it. Liam. Liam, you're a professional singer. I've heard the recordings. Oh God. <laughs> I, to be honest, I don't even recognize the name, let alone know the song. Don't you know the song Hazard? Nope. There was a song called Hazard by Richard Marks in the early 90s, and it came out sort of in the wake of when Twin Peaks came out, and the song sound, kind of sounds like the soundtrack to Twin Peaks. Like Julie Cruzy? Yeah, like, yeah. So, but it also, like the movie, the, sorry, the movie, the song ha- tells the tale of this murder that occurs and the fact that the sheriff, who's probably crooked, probably. Uh, has has pinned this murder on uh, Richard Marks, but he's not guilty he said he left her by the river safe and sound. That's what he says in the song. Mm-hmm. So you're left watching uh, the video and listening to the song and wondering who could have killed Mary. Mary is the name of the person who mur- murdered in this song. <laughs> anyway, Richard Marks. Sorry, Liam, do you have a comment? I mean, you're basically telling me Richard Marks is a sketchy dude. This, this, this sounds like he actually killed someone and now he's trying to cover it up. Look, he was. it was pinned on him by that... <laughs> Crooked Sheriff. <laughs> that crooked Sheriff. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. aware that Richard Marks had Nick Cave-style murder ballads. I, uh-huh. <laughs> I just thought it was prom music, because I went to high school in the 90s, so we always had that Richard, yeah, like Richard Marks right here waiting for you. Yeah. yeah. But, you uh, know what? And, and I would uh-huh. say 99.99% of his songs are exactly what you just said, Mike. Right. But the other... Point zero zero one percent are this song called Hazard, which is about him being <laughs> framed for murder. <laughs> he looks kind of like Nick Cave in his Twitter uh, icon thing. Like Does he, he really? looks like well, he's trying really hard. You're looking at a very small image at the moment. <laughs> I mean, it his his aesthetic, not that he physically looks anything like that. Well, he used to he used to be very bemulleted. He had a very long, luxurious hair, as Eric Roberts did during that time period. Uh, but uh, but now he's kind of cut it off. You know what he looks like is the lead singer of what's that band that does uh, that song? Uh, song jo- Drops of Jupiter. Oh, train, train, train yeah. yeah, train. <laughs> Speaking of train, I think we're going a little off the rails here. <laughs> <laughs> Recently, Richard Marks, the musician, tweeted, "Funny." <clears throat> Sorry, let me do my Richard Marks. Funny. A huge number of the people who post the most vile, insulting shit to strangers online have a Bible verse in their profile. What? Now, you're going to be able to relate to this, Liam. Eric Roberts responded, A worthwhile observation, Richard Marks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's some hot fire from the both of them, man. Mike... Was it? Wait, hold on. I want to get. I, I know we got got off the rails for a second, but wasn't Richard Marks just involved in some kind of act of heroism on a on an airplane? Didn't we? This this now sounds familiar. Yeah, I believe you're right. And in fact, if you just talk for a second, Mike, while mm. I look up Richard <laughs> okay. Marks and heroism, are you sure? Are you sure he wasn't framed for that heroism by a local show? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, he may have been. I don't know. But yeah, here's I, an I, article. Here's an yeah. article that's called Richard Marks. Helping restrain unruly passenger on flight was no big hero move. So no, Mike, you're wrong. It wasn't a hero move <laughs> yeah, at all. It wasn't at all. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> According okay. to one Mr. Richard Marks. Fake news. That's right. He was sad. I heard I heard he was on the plane. He was right there waiting for an unruly passenger to uh, mm, No. But yes, he <laughs> 
<laughs> so, uh, Mike, uh, yeah. uh, do you agree with Richard Marx's observation, his hilarious Seinfeld-esque observation, that people who post the most vile, insulting shit to strangers online have a Bible verse in their profile? I, I agree with him that there's a lot of hypocrisy online. I do not believe that uh, everyone who posts vile shit has a Bible verse. But I do think that there are people that post vile shit that also do not have a Bible verse. Mm. Um, so I don't know what he's trying to accomplish with that uh, Seinfeld wisdom. But uh, <laughs> I agree that he tweeted it. There you go. There you go. Over to you, Liam. Um, it has PC culture gone wild? <laughs> what? Yeah, is it run amok? Is no. it, can I not uh, say the kind? Can I not call... Puerto Rican swarthy without some PC thug jumping down my neck. <laughs> I mean, you live in Canada, so I'm sure they would just go, uh, ac- oh, oh, actually, sorry, but, uh, sorry. You're mocking my entire country? Yeah, I'm trying to. Um, I'll tell you, I'll, t- I'll tell you, that satire, worthy of Kevin Smith. <laughs> oh, God, I hate <laughs> you so much. Um, no, I mean, I, I, I mean, I think he's right, in, especially like in our current sort of, um, Trumpian, dystopia that uh you know folks folks are real angry about stuff and i don't know that they really know why and they want to make everybody feel bad especially people who are different than them liam do you remember the television let me start again liam do you remember the movie training day Uh, yes i do they've turned it into a television program oh Uh uh-huh and i think bill paxton is on it (laughs) Are you getting that from Eric Roberts' tweet about the matter? Mm-hmm. I did read something about it. However, this does transition to what we were just talking about. Uh, Eric Roberts, who I have to say is generally incredibly complimentary to just about everything from restaurants to airlines to musicians who are just terrible. <laughs> but uh, he had some harsh things to say about the casting on the television program Training Day. He said, why not Paxton as kidnapper and the Arabic speakers as the ones who saved the girl. TV has the power to change the world, use power responsibly. Mike, should we use our power, say as podcasters, to change the world? Positively or just to change the world? Well, I'm going to just throw it out there as kind of a wide net that we can just change it generally. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's a best case scenario that any one person or any small group of people could change the world. Hopefully for the better, but um, I'm not I'm not entirely clear on what Paxton's saying around the casting. Can you go over that one again? Yeah. See, Bill Paxton. Yeah. Plays play. I guess like a good guy. Okay. And he's, he's like so, Ethan Hawke. So, he's like uh, you know Ethan what? Hawk? My understanding, and this goes back to what I was saying to Liam about I having read something about this show. Uh-huh. Apparently, it is not the same characters as the movie. They refer... <laughs> no, honestly, in the first episode, they refer to the incident that happened in the movie, but okay. it's whole. It's a whole different set of characters with different motivations. Okay. And then who, See, who it is... It seems Pax- like it's useless. And, yeah. And, <laughs> and Bill Paxton is one of these characters, and I guess he stopped some kidnappers who spoke Arabic, but Eric Roberts is saying... Bill Paxton should have been to the kidnapper, and the Arabic speakers should have been, I guess, the ones who stopped him from kidnapping. What, does he have a recurring role on the show, or was this Look, like a... Look, I'm not the fuck 
fucking expert on Training Day, the TV series. I'm just saying, there's there's a difference between being like, you know, oh, the guy who's the hero of the show should have been the villain, or is if Bill Paxton's like the guest star, then he could have been the kid. Then I'm all right. for Eric Roberts on that one. I'm, I'm just going to put yeah, it out there. Bill I'm Paxton's a much better villain. Okay, we'll just we'll just stand silent thinking about what we were just <laughs> I'm with Liam. If Bill Paxton is the star of the show, it wouldn't make any fucking sense to say, hey, he could have been playing the kidnapper. But if he's just the guest star, then yeah, he's expendable. That's an Eric Roberts movie. And they could have uh, <laughs> cast him as the Arab kidnapper. The question stands, though, does Bill Paxton speak Arabic? Because that sounds essential for the role. I think uh, I, I think he's trying to suggest that there that there are kidnappers from every culture, and so maybe now under the you know uh, the tangerine regime, we should have less Arabic bad guys. I guess is and the in fact in fact Eric Roberts did elaborate. He said, "All respect at Training Day CBS, but it is damaging in this day and age to have the bad guys be from the countries you had them from." I feel like this is uh, this is the era that we live in, and I, I can't say I disagree with Eric Roberts. It'd be nice to see a few bad guys from countries that um, that are not currently banned from having people come to <laughs> your country. That's true. That's true. And get some women in those roles too. Yeah, oh, yeah. Some, oh yes. Why can't Denzel be a woman? That's right. what I want to know. That's what I I'm in full agreement. Viola Davis and Denzel should have switched places and fences. That's mm-hmm. that's fucking forward. I also just don't under. I mean, it would it would be different if any of us had actually watched the show. Like, there's <laughs> there's a context in which. How do you mean? <laughs> but you know what I mean. You know what I mean. Like, there's a context in which maybe this actually did make sense. But like, if they're just what I'm confused is that they're kidnappers too. Like, is that why are they Arabic kidnappers? You know what I mean. Like, I don't even really understand the choice of the show. But maybe it would make sense if I'd ever seen. I don't even, especially since it's not even the same characters as the movie. I don't really know right. what the show's even about. And yeah, I've heard the, it's bad. Isn't the real problem that someone got kidnapped? That's what we should be going after. Oh, no, you that's You know fair. what? Yeah. That's the real pro- I, Thank you, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we were not seeing the trees. We were too focused on the forest. <laughs> want to ask a quick question before we move on? Um, Liam, change the world. Good Eric Clapton song or bad Eric Clapton song? Uh, 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 um, I, I'm going to go ahead and say bad Eric Clapton song. Mm, yeah, I can't disagree with that. That would be the to be, to, be, to be fair, I don't have a long list of good Eric Clapton songs. That's just my, my thing. You know what? You know that song that Eric Clapton has? It's called Wonderful Tonight. <laughs> yeah. Did, did, yeah. I don't like that song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's what a about, bad song. What what about the the um Eric Clapton song that's not really a song, but it's the part between songs when he said that they should kick all the brown people out of England? That's oh, my yeah. oh, I remember when he said that. That guy's a bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I it don't was, like that Eric Clapton. It was trendy at the time, but still. Remember when his kid fell out a window? Moving on. Ah, tears over... in heaven. Tears in <laughs> heaven, bro. <laughs> over at panarmenian.net. <laughs> There's an article talking about Momentum Pictures releasing the first trailer for James Franco's The Institute, which is set in 19th century Baltimore and based on true events. It is apparently a psychological thriller featuring Franco as a creepy doctor who executes, executes disturbing experiments on his patients. This is a movie directed by one Mr. James Franco, but we are mentioning it for a very specific reason. That reason is that other cast members include Tim Blake Nelson, the great Laurie Singer, and Eric Roberts. And the movie is set to open in limited U.S. theatrical release on March 
third. Gentlemen, will you be trying to find a cinema showing the movie The Institute on March 3rd? Starting with you, Mike. I will not be trying to find a cinema playing it, but if it hits VOD, I do like James Franco, and I have grown to appreciate Eric Roberts, and I love Tim Blake Nelson. So maybe if it hits I, I VOD. Love, uh, okay. I love Tim Blake Nelson. I love Eric Roberts. James Franco, I feel like he runs hot and cold. What do you think, Liam? I, I, I have to agree, especially with his directed projects. Like some mm-hmm. of the some of the ones I've enjoyed, I was surprised at. Like for example, Interior Leather Bar, I thought was really great. And then some of the ones I thought I would like, like the um, what are the what the uh, the mm-hmm. southern the southern guy, you know, right? as I lay dying, and oh, uh, what yeah. was the other one he did. The but all those were bad, and I was not expecting that. I was expecting something good from that, and uh, so I I don't know. I, I appreciate James Franco, and I appreciate that he's taking risks, but yes. so far those risks are about 50-50. The Disaster Artist, are you looking forward to it? I mean, I am because I I like the idea that people will go see James Franco's stuff just because it's James Franco, and then Eric Roberts is in it. Like, good for Eric Roberts. I'm not talking about it. Wait, I said The Disaster yeah. Artist. Oh, I'm the sorry. One, the one about the room. Oh, I've never seen it. Well, oh. It's not out yet! Jesus, Liam. You know, I heard about women getting pregnancy brain. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, he's making a movie about the room? Jesus he made fucking a movie Christ. About the room. It's called The Disaster Artist. It's based on uh, Greg Sestero's memoir about working with... Yeah, shit. So, I, called, I didn't know called The Disaster Artist. Wasn't there, already oh, a docu- wasn't there already a documentary about that, though? They were making one called A Room Full of Spoons, which I don't think has been completed yet. Oh, that's, but, I, but I, cert- I heard about that. I didn't know. I've never heard of this, the James Franco one. That is baffling to me that you could not have heard about this i'm sorry i don't keep up with the latest everybody is drama. in it liam brian cranston is in it that's true <laughs> seth rogan is in it seth rogan is in it his brother the other franco is also in it dave franco david franco david, i was david a little franco. distracted bringing life into the world doug what the fuck were you doing <laughs> takes a long time to make a movie We've been <laughs> keeping up on the i really haven't here. heard about it i don't know anything about it well it's coming out Soon. Over at MediaMass.net, a very trustworthy news source. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, for anyone who knows MediaMass.net, you'll know that it's not a trustworthy news source. It's what your current president calls fake news. They often report the deaths of famous actors. I remember they were the uh, primary source uh, reporting the death of Jackie Chan months back, which got uh, a lot of people very concerned until they realized that Jackie is still walking around making movies with Johnny Knoxville. Well, they recently reported, and this was very exciting to me, is Eric Roberts set to be the next James Bond? Question oh, mark? fuck yes. Rumors that the producers are looking for someone slightly different, <laughs> a 60-year-old American, to play James Bond, emerged in January 2017. One of the names who keeps cropping up is Eric Roberts. Every man at some point in his life wishes he could be James Bond. And with the news that Daniel Craig may be out as W007, there are a whole bunch of actors from London to Los Angeles wondering what they could bring to the role. (laughs) The article continues to say, Robert Starr has been rising in Hollywood in recent years thanks to critically acclaimed roles in The Expendables, 1996's It's My Party, and the television show Suits. His commercial appeal is growing too. Liam, (laughs) what do you think about this? I mean... I'm really amazed that anyone could write this. I, I mean, the person writing it knew it wasn't real, right? Like, Well, there is an update to the story that I have here. 
from from February 17th, very recent, in fact, the day that we're recording this, <laughs> where it says, this story seems to be false. Hmm. <laughs> But it, but we could dream, Liam. I mean, I would watch it. That would be great. But I I mean, besides the fact that um, if Daniel Craig is getting a little old for James Bond, what do we think Eric Roberts is? Well, they're going in a different direction. I mean, that's a very different direction, though. Right, right. They they were like they were like, get me the guy from Amityville Death House. <laughs> <laughs> we need him as the new James Bond. It, was it Amityville Death House or was it um, Dark Moon Rising, though? I mean, let's just be real. That's a good point. That one probably reached a few more people. Mike, would you watch Eric Roberts as 007? I would watch Eric Roberts as 007 if Michael Dudikoff got to play the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> they have gone in a slightly different direction. And how come all these <laughs> 007 movies now go straight to VOD? <laughs> Recently added... To the ever-expanding Eric Roberts IMDb page is 2017's Naked People Are Everywhere, directed, written, and produced by Aaron James. The plot is, one man stands between America and anarchy as the war on nudity battles to the end here on the streets of Bakersfield. Now, gentlemen, I've sent you uh, the notes that we're currently discussing. I should say that the title, Naked People Are Everywhere... Uh, there's actually a space between every and where, and I don't know why, but that's how it is on the Internet Movie Database. Eric Roberts plays the governor <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure it's it's a very central role to the plot. Mike, naked yeah. people, are they everywhere? Uh, hopefully not in fucking Bakersfield. I've been through Bakersfield many times. I'd never want to see a naked person in Bakersfield, but I... You know, if we're just talking generally, are naked people everywhere? Eh, we wear clothes to cover up our nudity. So I guess if you consider if we didn't wear clothes, we'd be naked. Then, yeah, we're all like halfway naked anyway. So naked people are everywhere. Liam, what's the least amount of clothing you've ever worn to podcast? Oh, uh, yeah, I did I did an episode of Eric Roberts in my underwear before. Um, but I think I still had a shirt on. You know, for listeners, long-time listeners, could you sure. tell us which episode that was? Um, I'm sure they're going to want to yank it. <laughs> or, or alternatively, flick it, or whatever their deal is uh, when they're listening. Um, that's a good question. It might have been... It is. It's a good question. It might have been the episode where... Uh, what was the te- television show where he had the ghost, the celebrity haunting episode? Yes, our Halloween episode with celebrity hauntings. Yeah, I think I did half that episode um, on the toilet, actually. That's not <laughs> as sexy to anybody. <laughs> I know, but I'm just being honest. Watch out for Naked People Are Everywhere later this year, if it ever happens. <laughs> it sounds Now, where is Bakersfield? Tell me that, Mike. Uh, Bakersfield is kind of like in the, um, what would you call it? The, uh, the tainty little scrotomy part of California. It's, uh, it's just a shitty, uh, hot backwoodsy town. Everyone's kind of like mouth breathers, knuckle draggers. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I don't, do you have a lot of listeners in Bakersfield? Well, I was just going to say you do make the people there sound like complete pieces of shit. Yeah. Uh, who real, of- real scum of the mm-hmm. earth. Um, I mean, let's face it, Republicans. Yeah. Uh, and almost certainly, you know, the kind of people that not only do we not want listening to this podcast, right. that, 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 frankly, we don't want breathing if yeah. we can help it at all. 
Right. So, uh, Liam, your thoughts? I mean, I've never been, but it sounds like a real shithole. A piece yeah. of fucking garbage yeah. that <laughs> should be wiped from the planet. Just Trash fucking burn it down. Burn it down. Mike, do you agree? Burn it down. Burn it down. Burn down. Burn all it down. Those meth houses. Those those meth houses will go up easily. So burn it down. <laughs> yeah. Yes, sir. All right, we're going to take... Mike, I'm going to interrupt you. We're going to take our first break, all right? Because our energy level is sky high. And we're going to need it because we need to talk about two star-studded episodes of Criminal Scene Investigation. Is that correct? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Criminal... Yeah, uh, yeah, is that what... Crime Scene Investigators. Crime Scene Investigation. It sounded like I said the right thing, but I said the wrong thing. We're going to be watching... The season finale of season 13 of CSI, season 13, episode number 22, called Skin in the Game. Then we're going to follow it up with the season premiere of season 14 called The Devil and D.B. Russell. We're going, to, we're going to discuss that right after this. Have you ever seen that movie, Seven? (laughs) Well, how would you like to see it in the form of two episodes of the TV show, CSI? No, not the one that you remember. The one that existed later with Ted Danson in the lead. (laughs) Tony Danza! Not Tony Danza, (laughs) Ted Danson. That is what we had to deal with with episode number 22 of season 13 of CSI, which continued into, it was a two-parter, season 14 and episode number 1. Of uh, the next season Boy, I explained that in a totally horrible way Anyway, it was a season finale and a season premiere It was chosen for us by Mike Mike, why don't you explain what happens in these episodes? I heard that you may have fallen asleep during them (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so, all right. (laughs) It all opens up at a Black Sabbath concert, right? It does, Uh, which is so crazy (laughs) for you to say that And people are like, yeah, sure it does No, it does Fucking Ozzy, man Ozzy's there. Yeah. And and they turn it immediately into a uh a, a rockers versus hippies thing with Ted Danson and his partner. But they're they're at this Ozzy concert for, for some reason to meet this British reporter who is gonna be spending uh, a few days or a week or I, they're unclear on how long it is, but he, he's gonna be shadowing Ted Danson for, for no reason but to, to shadow him and get a story and do some good press for for the city of Las Vegas, who is going to need some good press because there begins this series of grisly murders uh, mm-hmm. throughout throughout Las Vegas, where women of the night are mummified, where 
<laughs> where working ladies are force fed, just like uh, Doug said, like in the movie Seven. Um, bodies just start popping up everywhere, and they through their <laughs> through their fucking brilliant minds of etymology, they're able to figure out how these insects are all connected. <laughs> yes, there's insects involved. There's like uh-huh. Egyptian hieroglyphs. There's yep. fucking, there's Tim Matheson. I think reprised uh-huh. his role from a very Brady sequel in, I don't know, <laughs> something about him fucking 14-year-old boys. And then yep. there's Eric Roberts as some kind of Hannibal Lectory, uh, like, hooker priest. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And hooker it's all, priest, that's right. It, but, but this all has something to do with Ted Danson's boss's daughter, who isn't really his daughter. That's who, right. <laughs> who becomes friends with one of the 14-year-old boys, but not when he's 14, when he's, like, 24. Mm-hmm. And he right. wants to get revenge on Tim Matheson. So he, yep. he I, I think he frames him for all these murders that are happening in Las Vegas, Nevada. Right. I think that's what happens in the show. And also... You nailed that. Dante, Dante's Inferno. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Dante's, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's also a fucking Dan Brown ripoff on top of everything yes. else. Yeah. So the killer we discover later... Is killing people in the style of the uh, Circles of Hell from Dante's Inferno. Uh, even posing them uh, according to the images in an ancient version of that book, which is fucking ridiculous. Uh, but that is how things are set up. And yes, there are Egyptian hieroglyphs. Uh, and there, uh, there is also at one point a, uh, a boat that is held together by these wooden things oh. that have these... They have these fucking symbols on them. And also, inside these hieroglyphs, sometimes there's a spider. Sometimes there's a, <laughs> yeah. a vial of blood. Oh, at one point, someone sweats, and they have data encrypted inside the sweat. Oh, yeah, DNA data. That's a, that's a real thing. DNA data. Da- it's the future. It's how we're all going to be doing it. So and it, But the data ended up just being porn. <laughs> someone made synthetic DNA, something that has to cost a bajillion dollars to hide porn. That's what they were using it for. And there's a twist, like, after all this fucking horseshit, there's a twist at the end that the person that they're trying to save was working with the bad guy all along and ends up uh, murdering her own mother and then going to jail. She's just mad so, at her dad. because She was dad, mad at her dad. Daddy issues are the, that strong that you would look, orchestrate this whole thing for that purpose. Look, listeners of Eric Roberts is the fucking man. I understand that all of that plot summary that you just heard, you're very confused. Well, try fucking watching it. <laughs> can I, can and by, by that, I mean don't try watching can it. I, can I also ask something here? The re- Please. The reporter guy who is, uh, by the way, the, the British Cylon dude from Battlestar Galactica. He is Gaius Baltar from Battlestar Galactica, the television series. Yes. He is he's it felt to me like he was supposed to be a red herring, but th- yeah, but things were so crazy that at no point did I feel like I thought it was him. It, I, the few moments where it felt like you were supposed to go like, maybe it's the guy. I'm like, how could it be the guy? I don't know. Why is he even on this episode? Like, other than sitting there and being like, is that really what you think? Like, what is his point of even being in this episode? It's a very good question, Liam, because you expect when they set it up at the beginning that he's going to be kind of a um, an irritant, right? He's going to be asking questions and being annoying, but in fact, he's actually pretty helpful. There's only one scene where he is a bonehead and gets knocked out, um, but later in the second episode, there is a scene that you were just kind of uh, referring to where he sits down with Ted Danson, yes, Ted Danson, <laughs> uh, and basically they're... It, Ted Danson, uh, he has special, 
memory magic where his brain turns into pictures in front of himself to help work out the clues. Is that uh, a real just thing? A, was that like, is yeah. that actually part of the thesis of the show that he has like weird memory shit? I mean, he must be like magic. Like I was sitting in a forensics class today uh, and I can tell you that uh, the, the information that they presented had nothing to do with magic floating letters uh, linking together <laughs> lengthy quotations from <laughs> from <laughs> classic works of literature. Um, but anyway, they're talking about the fact that Ted Danson has this kind of voice in his head that helps him like uh, work out all the clues. And um, James Callis, the writer, he's like, "What if that? What if someday that that voice disappears?" And it's like at that moment, I was like, "Maybe he's trying to." like work out what's going on in the case and he is the bad guy. That's the point where the, the only point where the red herring actually worked for me because again, he did get knocked out in the other episode. So I guess, but that could have been a re, a misdirection is what I'm trying to say. CSI. <laughs> yeah. Mike, what, mm-hmm. what, what's, what's the appeal of CSI, the television show? Boy, I think initially, well, you mean for me or for Americans? Uh, well, I suspect you're an American. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it, like, here we are, and you're speaking for Canada often on this podcast, so... Um, I always speak, speak for, for Canada. The, the, just the appeal of CSI in general? Yes. Yeah, I think what it, it was initially, at least um, when the show first started, was it was, uh, who, who was it? William Peterson, right? And Mark yes. Helgenberger. And Helgenberger. they would go solve... Did I pronounce it wrong? Yeah, no, you said it right. I just oh. love the name. I just wanted to say it myself. Oh, yeah, it's a great one. It rolls right off the tongue. Helgenberger. Mm-hmm. Um, they would solve these very grisly uh, murders. And before the show, we were chatting a little bit, and we we both commented on how great the, the practical effects and the gore were for uh, kind of this big-budget, Jerry Bruckheimer-y primetime show. And I think that was the initial appeal, because you didn't just have to have all the the talking detective stuff like you get on uh, uh, Perry Mason or uh, Law and Order. I don't know why I think Perry Mason was uh, a relevant show fucking 50 years <laughs> The contemporary show, <laughs> Perry it's Mason. Not even, it's not even a police procedural. It's a courtroom drum. But, <laughs> you uh, Raymond Burr, I think, Raymond Burr might have died before CSI came on the air. <laughs> but you like white suits, so that's really what's important. I, that is true, yeah. Um, wait, no, that's Andy Griffith with the white suit. Oh, yeah, really? that's, Matt the suit. that's Matlock. That's oh, different. Shit. Perry What's Mason? Perry Mason? Raymond Burr. Yeah. Oh, Burr. Shit. oh Ironsides. Oh my God! You went even. Oh my Jesus. <laughs> well, I, I honestly, I, as embarrassed as I was for Mike, I'm much more embarrassed for you, Liam. Yo, I have never any of these like standard American shows, including CSI. These are the first episodes of CSI I've ever watched in my life. You're like, telling me that they didn't show Perry Mason on TV in your childhood in Puerto Rico? <laughs> First of all, uh-huh. I'm not even, we're not even going to get into this. No, what? No, in Philadelphia, no, I did not watch Perry Mason ever. Liam, was it exciting to see the band Black Sabbath in this episode? No, not at all. And well, it was exciting to see. I, I, amazingly, Ozzy actually gets two whole sentences out without stuttering, and I thought that has to be some amazing digital effects, or they've like CGI'd him in. So somehow like that was pretty amazing but other than that no it was terrible funny enough one of those two sentences was the name of his latest album i was <laughs> yeah, very surprised there it's a commercial right there right i mean it was blatantly a fucking commercial to the point where there's a montage a little later in that episode which has a uh, modern black sabbath song playing in the background well, <laughs> it's that's, that's when they're rehydrating the mummy right they're rehydrating <laughs> 
a mummy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm like, still just the whole that whole setup of the beginning of the episode. Like, I don't care who you're meeting. No one's like, sure, come meet me at the concert. Like that I, I'm I'm picturing like, A, are they on the guest list? Like, does he go, I have two cop friends who are meeting me here for no reason. <laughs> I could meet them anytime, but I decided at twelve o'clock on a weeknight was when I should meet these cops. So they <laughs> it feels come. like a classic retrofit, I think. Yeah, it, the whole thing was so weird to me, and then it, it gave us no. It, I also thought like, oh, this is establishing the British guy's bad boy image, and then he does nothing to suggest he is cool yeah. in any way. The rest of the show, no, he yeah, he's sponsor. super fucking nerdy when he's like, "Did you know you were my first interview thirty years ago?" And Ozzy's yeah. like, "No, man, I don't fucking remember you." And he's like, <laughs> oh, okay, well, it's nice to see you again. I'm like. Well, <laughs> Fucking minute of TV we just watched. <laughs> Mike. Yo. Your thoughts on the actor Ted Danson. <laughs> oh, I, when I, was, I remember being a kid and not liking Ted Danson. I, I remember that clearly. I, I, my family didn't watch Cheers, and I think it's because they were, they were recovering alcoholics. No, they weren't even recovering. They were just alcoholics. And then I think it was just hard for them to uh to to face a show where people actually got to hang out in a bar and they had friends <laughs> uh but we didn't watch that and then i i didn't love his movies i wasn't a big fan of three men and a baby i didn't like right. uh what, what was that coming to america i wasn't no not coming to america not made in america what's the one made in Wilson? america with Whoopi goldberg that's yeah. right yeah so i wasn't a fan and then um when was it it was probably around saving private ryan he has a really odd cameo where he just mm-hmm. shows up at uh, one of the, the the battle scenes, and I was like, "Oh, Ted Danson looks cool, man. He's got like white hair. He's got like that white Eric Roberts hair, you know. I'm like he's he's <laughs> yes. looking good." And then uh, years later, he had that Renaissance with um, uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, which That's he right. is brilliant on. And then he was also mm-hmm. brilliant on Bored to Death. And then I, I I'm a fan now of uh, Ted Danson. Long story short, no, it's it. I like hearing people's growing enthusiasm yeah. for one Mr. Ted Danson. Liam, yourself, do you feel that uh, that Ted Danson, the, the, the I was going to say renaissance in a way that connected to his name, the Ted-naissance? Ted-naissance? Um, <laughs> no, do you think that uh, that you are a fan, sir, of I mean, one I, Mr. Ted Danson? I, I make fun of it, but I, I watched a lot of Cheers. Like, I, I, I definitely, uh, not that that was why I watched Cheers. I mostly just watched it for Norm, but um, but yeah, I, oh, I remember him from that more than anything, but this middle period of his career, like the CSI period, I, as far as I know, cheers ended and then Ted Danson basically died. And then someone <laughs> brought him back to life for bored to death. Like that's my knowledge <laughs> and watching him on the show. I'm like watching him and he's doing this again, the magic words thing. And the first time it happens on these episodes we watch, I'm sure there's context where it makes more sense. It's but it's when he's reading about the he's reading the Bible and he's reading Dante's Inferno, and nothing sure. he's reading are clues. Like the fact that they have him doing the effects at that moment, and the words say like judgment, <laughs> hell, like these are not <laughs> clues. They're just words he happens to be reading. It did not. I'm like he just looks like he's having a seizure. Like I don't understand. He he's too blank for me to buy into his role in this movie. Whereas on board to death, he kills it. Like I I really thought because I had not kept up with anything, I thought like oh Ted Dance is great. Like uh, he, he he's funny on Cheers, and now he's on board to death. He's even funnier. Oh he's awesome. <laughs> Watching this, I was like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> I just like the idea in your brain, Liam. 
The last episode of Cheers aired in the early 90s. He went home and had sex with Mary Steenburgen for 15 years. <laughs> and did nothing else. No, to be fair, I know that's not true because I saw the picture of him in blackface. So I know that that's that, true. That <laughs> up in, in my story is like, oh, also, he, uh, he did blackface, <laughs> so that's kind of fucked up. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess, I guess enough time has passed. Um, I like Ted Danson. However, I do have to concur with what you were just saying, Liam. He seems kind of uncomfortable in this role. Uh, maybe it's because now there are so many of those kind of quirky uh, characters who are supposed to be geniuses. I'm thinking of the Vincent D'Onofrio type character on Law and Order and, of course, House. And, of course, William Peterson's character on CSI, who kind of kind of uh, sprung the whole, um, the whole uh, uh, series of those type of characters on these shows. But here, he doesn't seem like a weird uh, uh, eccentric genius except when he's sitting down and seeing these images in his head. And like you said, it's presented in a very much a, in a beautiful mind-ish type way, and it's absolutely ludicrous. Yeah. Uh, so, so even though I do like Ted Danson, uh, I find him in this role to be really bland. And I, I can't say that I was much more inspired by his supporting cast. Some of them who have been here, again, this is the 13th season, since the very beginning, and are looking their age. <laughs> They all seem to have expanded or shrunk in various ways. Um, yeah, who knew Elizabeth Shue was on this fucking show? Elizabeth Shue was on CSI People. If you're wondering what she's been doing since Hamlet 2, uh, that, <laughs> this this is what she's been doing. She's been on CSI. I don't know if she's still on it. Is CSI even still on? I don't know. I it should have researched it. It has to be. But there were spinoffs, right? Gary Sinise and his Lieutenant no. Dan Band. No, I think it all ended. Um, so the first one to end was the first spinoff, CSI Miami. I did a little research on this today, just a little bit. So Thank CSI you. Miami was the first one to end. Then the next one to end was the other spinoff, the Lieutenant Dan in New York one. And then mm-hmm. the uh, the third one to end was actually CSI proper, the, the, the Ted Danson proper, the Ted Danson one. And then the fourth one to end was, I swear to God, for one season they had Patricia Arquette solving sex crimes with James uh-huh. Vanderbeek, and then that was uh, that was the fourth and final one, and that C- was awesome. was that was that CSI Dawson's Creek. <laughs> yeah, yeah, CSI Creek, the Creek. I'm re- I'm reading here that CSI ended with a feature length finale titled Immortality on uh, September twenty seventh, two thousand fifteen. So yes, you're absolutely correct, Mike. There is no more CSI, so the book is closed on that particular case let's say. Until we um, reboot it. Let's do it, guys. There are a lot of interesting guest stars on this episode. Uh, we mentioned, of course, Black Sabbath, the entire band. Tim Matheson, yes, does show up as a creepy sex pervert for one <laughs> uncomfortable scene. Uh, I, I, Well, a couple of scenes, but that's kind of his big one. However, the man that we're here to talk about is one Mr. Eric Roberts, and he gets a part in this that's significantly larger than his part in that Glee episode that I covered on the most recent episode that Liam was not a part of. Liam, did you end up watching that episode of Glee? Not only did I watch that episode of Glee, I read the thing wrong, and I read an- I watched another. I've now watched two episodes of Glee, and only one of which had Eric Roberts, and that was two episodes too many of Glee. Now, were you also kind of depressed by the amount of Eric Roberts that was in that episode? Yeah, I mean, that's not a show I enjoy. I'm not. I'm, I'm not, not trying to get the whole Gleeks mad at me or whatever the fuck they're called, but um, but I don't enjoy that show. So it was it was pretty painful to realize I was watching it for what is he a waiter in that show for like five minutes or something? He was a fundraiser organizer. Yeah, it's painful. It's bad. Well, he gets a lot more 
to do in this episode. He plays, as you mentioned, Mike, sort of a preacher slash pimp, which lets him kind of stretch his uh, acting chops a little bit. We do get a scene of him uh, in sort of like a... um, therapy type group or religious group where he's he's preaching from the bible and helping them get off the streets a lot of them are uh, former prostitutes and people who have been on the streets and things like that he's basically at that time supposed to be a person who is helping them get their lives back on track however we know right from the beginning that he's a dirty old scumbag because it's eric roberts um and of course at one point he's being interviewed uh, 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 by the police, and it suddenly all comes out how much of a dirtbag he is, and then his character totally changes in that scene, <laughs> where he's like almost almost proud of the fact that he's selling women to people to a higher class of clientele on the side. However, it's a pretty great performance. It is a lot of fun, I think, but that's just my opinion. Mike, you are the guest on the show. You brought this to us. What did you think of Eric Roberts in this episode, or these episodes of CSI? I agree with you almost completely, Doug Tilly. Um, he, he's chewing up the scenery. He's having a lot of fun. He did not let me down in the uh, the Eric Roberts camp department. Um, when he's holding court in that Hooker's Anonymous meeting, that was pretty great. Because <laughs> he's, he's really playing up like the righteous like Christian angle. And then you're, you're totally spot on. It's almost like a scene or two later, he just turns and he's like, Yep, I'm still selling women. I do it for uh, to what, what does he call him? A higher class of uh, client. They they take him into custody right away, and then his character almost to, to me at least switches again to being like this uh, Hannibal Lecter. Like they have to keep going to him for information right. about the hooker group, and they're like, "This is the only guy who knows about the hooker group, except for that one lady, Angela, who I guess saved Ted Danson's life earlier in the show." <laughs> I don't fucking know. I, so I that's that's why that you have to watch the rest of the Ted Dance and CSI run. So all of these details, the continuity will make so much more sense. Now, there is a great scene where later in the second episode, uh, the police have tracked down the brother of the killer. They have him. He used to be part of the kind of ministry that Eric Roberts has. Now, this guy has been, realizes that Eric Roberts is also a pimp and kind of a scumbag. But they get them in their same room together. So Eric Roberts can basically scold him in a very ridiculous way and throw a table to the side and grab him, basically make him confess where his brother is. It uh, it is a very powerful scene. Liam, how did you feel that Eric Roberts came off in these episodes? Uh, It... The moment where he reveals that he's kind of a pimp, it was such a weird heel turn. Like it, it, it literally, it's like, all right, I'll come out. It made him seem like a like a fucking Kaiser Soze character. It was such <laughs> a go. huge, huge shift. But then it all comes back when he confronts that dude in the scene you're describing because he uses all this Bible. Like he straight up is saying, like, oh yeah, like you know, you and your brother got fucked, and now I'm taking all these girls, and they're getting fucked, and clearly I'm like the worst dude. But he's like, you're Judas Kiss, and you're blah blah blah. <laughs> it's like all this fucking Bible, and I'm like, wait a minute. So is so Eric Roberts is both the Bible thumper character and the like uber pimp character at the same time. It's so crazy to me. It's like it almost it 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 almost adds another layer to his performance. It may be like so st- I don't know if it's the best writing per se, but his performance <laughs> is great. Well, I've got good news for both of you gentlemen. Uh Eric Roberts' character from this episode, who by the way, I don't think we've ever named, but his character is named 
Daniel Larson. Daniel Larson actually comes back on an episode of CSI uh, a, a little bit down the road, and of course, we'll eventually we'll eventually have to watch that episode. And why is that, Liam? Oh, we took a goddamn blood oath. A blood oath. But now I need to hear from both of you. I think I know the answers already. Starting with you, Liam, is Eric Roberts the fucking man in these two episodes of Crime Scene Investigation? 100%. He owns the role. He does this weird, actually insane, that anyone wrote it down, character shift that doesn't make any sense, and he owns it. I, I even think his hair changes. It's like he admits he's a pimp. And I think, like, the feathering on his hair is different or something. Like, he revealed himself. <laughs> it's like, I'm fully myself now. It's great. It's it's literally, for me, the only part of this entire CSI experience that was enjoyable. Over to you. Uh, <laughs> Mike, do you agree? Everything Liam just said, plus just for the fact where he gets to do that really cool over-the-top actor kind of bro thing where, he, yeah, you said it, he throws the table side he grabs he grabs that brother by the neck and then they touch foreheads and he's just like quoting bible verses like right in his face and he's hugging them and they're figuring like how to get this fucking killer they have to go it's just great it's over the top i love it yes he is the fucking man eric roberts is the fucking man according to liam according to mike according to me yes let's complete the trilogy Eric Roberts is the fucking man in these two episodes of CSI. I can't rightly say to check them out. However, it is just so fucking crazy what happens in these two episodes. <laughs> I, I suppose it's worthwhile just to, just to see what was going on in these late seasons of this ridiculous television show. But for now, we have to leave CSI. We will return in a future episode. But for now, we need to leave because we need to check out a movie called Amityville Death House, directed by Mark Polonia. We're going to be discussing that right after this. young woman and her friends returning from helping with hurricane relief efforts in Florida (laughs) (laughs) stop in the town of Amityville to check in on her sickly grandmother. There they find all is not well as an ancient witch's spirit permeates the whole place. This evil curse... (laughs) Just reading what's on this fucking screen. This evil curse threatens to destroy the descendants of the townsfolk who condemned the witch to death over 300 years ago. Yeah, it's 2015's Amityville Death House. And uh, yes, as I mentioned before, directed by Mark Polonia, uh, who long-time listeners of the show know that I have another podcast called No Budget Nightmares, which focuses on ultra-low-budget and micro-budget cinema. So Mark Polonia is someone uh, that I'm actually pretty intimately familiar with. We actually covered one of his movies uh, on that uh, podcast uh, about a year and a half ago. Uh, And he is sort of a luminary in micro-budget filmmaking, so I was very excited to check out Amityville Death House. I hadn't seen most of his recent movies. This has some other recognizable names uh, in the credits, including 
Uh, Brett Piper, who is a fairly well-known director himself, who did some of the makeup effects in this. Fred Olin Ray, the, the famous low-budget director, was one of the producers here. So this was something that kind of was up my alley, uh, but I really had no idea what to expect. But before I say what, uh, what I got, let's go over to Liam. Liam, I want to start with you. What did you think of this movie, Amityville Death House? On a scale of... Dark Moon Rising to uh, Golden Shoes. Uh-huh. It's a little bit closer to Golden Shoes, you know? Uh-huh. Um, but on a scale... Now, now, just to interrupt you, Liam, that's better, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but on a scale of Dark Moon Rising to, say, Runaway Train, it's a uh-huh. lot closer to Dark Moon Rising. <laughs> <laughs> it's... it's uh, 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 it looks mm-hmm. bad. First <laughs> off, it looks bad. And that part, I, I will caveat and say we were not watching the highest quality version of the film. So Correct. possibly there is some more pristine version. But I'm going to go ahead and say I am skeptical that that is true. Um, I bet another version would also look not good. Um, I didn't find the plot very clear. Uh, all of the flashbacks look like a high school death metal band was trying to make a music video. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is, in fact, CGI snow that literally looks like someone left a screensaver on while they were editing the movie by mistake. <laughs> uh, and, and, but there are a few like moments that are so crazy that I kind of got stoked. Like Some of the practical effects around the witch look very much like uh, the first Evil Dead um there's a moment where for no discernible reason a woman grows spider legs so that's cool uh Uh, but a lot of the film is strange it doesn't make sense but it's not quite weird enough to be amusing well that's one take (laughs) (laughs) mike what did you think of amityville death house it was about um one hour and 15 minutes long um uh Hold on, I got to think of more now. That's all I wrote down. Um, no, I, I, you know, I sat there for an hour and fifteen minutes and I watched it. There was, I took two pages of notes, and I'm going over my notes right now, and I don't understand what happened. Mean, I wrote out the plot as I went along, and I'm reading back over it, and it still doesn't make that much sense to me. But there was a, uh, there was some stuff I had fun with in the movie. Like I liked the uh, the opening title theme song. I liked uh, mm-hmm. whenever they whenever they'd show what ridiculous shit was in that book of the dead. It it, it actually looked like <laughs> it actually looked like Anchor Bay's DVD for uh, Evil Dead that was in the Necronomicon um, uh, like rubber packaging. They were, I'm like, sitting next the, to the, I'm, I'm sitting next to that DVD version right now. Where it's of course because it's years old now, it's all dried out, so it's kind of flaking away. But you're right; it looks just yeah, like the DVD looks, packaging. Right, it looks but, just like that, and it looks like they also went to like a dress barn or dress for less and put like a knockoff Gucci belt around it. That's what I was <laughs> going to say. Why that yeah. belt? It was just a fashion belt. <laughs> yeah, it was a fashion belt for sure. But they they wrote down some funny shit in that book. Like one page said, "Witch, Salem, <laughs> Amityville, Evil," and it was like, "Yeah, dude, those are the four words that you'd like pitch to get the fifty dollars to make this movie." Absolutely. But they also had. I, I don't know if you guys saw it, but there's a sketch of a gorilla in that in that book. <laughs> yeah. Like these yeah. King yeah. Kong gorilla eyes. Um, I just yeah. like sorry the book the book was search engine optimized. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Um, what else? What else did I really like in this? Oh, I liked B Vision. I thought B Vision. Yes! It, oh my it turned god! Into, it turned into a Hype Williams music video. They put fucking uh, fish bubble, um, or what do you call that? Fish eye, but fish with, eye, right? Uh, with the honeycomb shape all over the place, like bees see through honeycomb. That that's how they see. It's just yeah. it's just reality. Wait, right. can I ask though? Was anyone else confused that the beginning of the movie? was just the climax of the movie. Yeah, they like were the, impressed with that spider effect and they needed to get their money's worth out of it. I for half a second I thought, is this a sequel? Am I seeing like a re- it felt like the beginning of a phantasm film where I'm getting a recap of something that already happened. So I was well, very confused for a little while. Well, it, it it isn't a sequel, but it is of course part of the Amityville series. Oh sure. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, and um, and maybe we should my, before you continue, Mike. We should yeah. mention, by the way, that this really do, this doesn't have any connection to the Amityville horror or any of the sequels or spinoffs or ripoffs of that particular story. It, it the only connection is that this movie takes place in Amityville, and also that there is some suggestion that this witch plot, uh, this witch sacrifice plot, may have been the impetus for all the awful things that happened in Amityville after it happened. Yeah, I wrote down on my notes here that there's no Ronnie DeFeo mentioned. <laughs> they they don't mention any any Ryan uh, Reynolds Indian curses. They're like, and they use bees. They don't even use flies. So yeah, there's nothing except the title that makes it Amityville. And I guess kind of the shape of the house, right? Doesn't it kind of sort of look like? No, it's not even Amityville? close. No, <laughs> not even close. Well, I mean, first of all, where is this house? Because First, our main characters, it takes them forever to get to the house. But then it takes the sheriff literally three times. I, I felt like the house was hidden in a secret valley or something. Like, why does it take so long to get to where this house is? Uh, because it's expensive to get to the house and shoot there when they could just be <laughs> shooting a bunch of footage in a car or on the <laughs> side of the road. I mean, th- you have to think practically in this case. Okay, uh, fair. Uh, fair. I, almost, I almost called you Mo just then simply because of the kind of movie we're talking about right now. Um, this, um, I will say there are certain aspects of this movie that I liked more than both of you. Um, maybe it's simply because I watch so many really micro-budget movies where they have zero resources like they do here. And there are moments of kind of inspiration here. Even aside from the spider legs thing, which actually I think looks pretty good, all things considered. They even have some CG fire that looks fine until there's a house explosion, which my (laughs) God does not. (laughs) But uh, the thing that drags this movie down for me, and I guess it shouldn't be that much of a surprise, is the quality of the acting. I don't think there's a decent performer not named Eric Roberts in this entire cast. Like, everybody is bad and unconvincing. There are parts where people are supposed to be scared that seem like they're laughing, and that happens all throughout the movie. It's really, really poor. And, of course, I know how difficult it is to get uh, get actors that can carry the weight of something like this. Not that there's that much weight, but that that, that can carry the drama and the terror of a horror movie. But uh, I th- just think that they are especially poor. In this particular pain, case, it's painful, and it's spe- the the one that got on my nerves the most was the uh, backwards G Pat chin strap guy. The mm-hmm. dude, the, he's he's there's the four, and there's the taller skinny boyfriend, and then there's the the one the, on the guitar. 
Yeah, yes. the, the guitar he, boy. There are multiple times where he just looks annoyed that he's in this movie. Like he yes. just—he's not invested in anything that's happening, and everything about him just rubbed me the wrong way. Like even on a personal level, like I just saw him and I was like, I don't think I like that person. And then things would happen. He's not reacting in any way, or he just looks kind of annoyed. And there's a moment where he's supposed to be possessed, and he just starts yelling. It's. It's so bad. It's like next level painful to watch. Now, like I said, I do like some elements of this movie. I felt like there was a really strong, there's obviously a very strong Evil Dead influence here, which, yeah. I mean, surprise, surprise, almost every low-budget horror movie has been. But I also felt like there was a strong influence from Lucio Fulci's The Beyond here. The, even the flashback sequence with the witch seemed to be shot in a very uh, similar kind of style. They have a book. Uh, I know that it, that it very much more resembles the Necronomicon, but it, it does kind of act similarly to that book of Iban in, in The Beyond, because it just makes crazy shit happen uh, without any real rhyme or reason. And also there's a scene where a guy gets his eyeballs poked out, which I yeah. think actually works pretty well. Uh, certainly compared to the closing uh, scene, which has an eyeball moment that isn't quite as impressive. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I, I kind of like, I know, I should say, I don't always like it when influences are worn on someone's sleeve maybe to this extent, especially if they are actually using DVD fucking cases as props in their movie. But I do appreciate the fact that they were trying to do something different with this mythos, uh, even if it doesn't really come together or work in any significant way. But like I was saying, I just didn't give a shit about the characters because not only was the acting bad, but the performances uh, and the characters were uninteresting. There was no reason, aside from the fact that they were apparently in Florida helping hurricane victims, I had no reason to to give a shit about whether they lived or died. And uh, maybe it's just my lack of empathy talking at the moment. But what I really, really need to ask you guys about, and I don't know how to ask this question, <laughs> but I'm going to start with you, Mike. Go. Te- teats. Oh, yeah, the witch teats. What the fuck what? was that? Okay, there is a part in this movie... Where our lead female character gets knocked down, and I guess her shirt becomes unbuttoned or or tangles on something and gets pulled open, and she has like six mini breasts under like her shirt. Kuato is gonna come out of her. I I had no idea what the. I had to rewind it like two or three times because they're like, she has the witch teats. She's a witch, and I'm like, wait, what the fuck are witch teats? And I kept, yeah, that's all I wrote down was witch teats. Now, I've heard it being colder than a witch's teat. <laughs> but uh, I was taken aback by the sequence on a number of different levels and so confused by it. Not only was it a very uncomfortable thing to look at, a woman who kind of has, like, udders <laughs> coming out of her chest, but it's also, to my knowledge, not really referenced in any significant way beforehand, and it also doesn't really play into anything that happens afterwards. She just sort of covers herself up. I also have to say that the the the, uh, the shape of her body when she's wearing her shirt doesn't necessarily reflect the idea that she has six breasts on her chest. It just is very, very weird. Over to you, Liam. Like, how many times did you jerk off while watching that? <laughs> I'm still raw. It hurts. Just immediately. I bet. Uh, he- honestly the the effects in the movie are not great and it was i had to pause it and like really look to figure out what the fuck was going on now granted partly that's because it's so insane that they just have that happen and you're just (laughs) supposed to accept and like isn't isn't her isn't 
bad beard guy her boyfriend like had he not noticed that's what was going it nothing about it makes any sense to me at all but it was so weird that i actually had to like get close to the screen to be like what what am i even supposed to be seeing here and is that is that right what what is the deal i'm i'm still confused by it i mean is there anything in with which mythology about the witch teeth like that because i saw that movie the witch and i've seen other witchy movies where they take their tops off and they all have very like supple nubile breasts this this is yeah out of the clear blue sky this witch teeth thing well i'm looking on the internet right now <laughs> i looked up witch teats and it brought me to of course a uh, a very impressive wikipedia entry that uh is talking about the witch's mark which is it says here not to be confused with a witch's teat. So, so no, I have no idea. I, I'm not going to lie to our audience. Perhaps I wasn't paying as close attention to some of the dialogue that was happening in this movie as I could have been. However, I should note that there are three of us who all took time out of our busy schedules to watch this fucking movie. And all of us seem equally confused by this sequence with her having six nipples. I, I wrote down two pages worth of what I was seeing and hearing and nothing came up about witch teats until like the the last what like 10 minutes of the movie. Yeah, so I think I think we can uh, safely assume that it's the movie that's crazy and not us. But that does lead in of course to the spider sequence where one of the other characters in the movie, not our lead with the um, teats, uh, she basically bends over backwards and spider legs uh, come out of her sides and in fact pierce one of the gentlemen as well. Um, they kill him but good. Um, and she walks around doing basically the exorcist spider walk except with spider legs. Uh, so I know we've mentioned it a few times. Do you want to get your thoughts, Liam? What did you think of the spider monster in this movie? They even put it on the poster for it. I mean, for the, for the type of movie it is, it actually didn't look so bad and it was... It here's the thing I want to say, and it was so unexpected that I really uh, was surprised. That was great, but I that whole as soon as they go down the basement, because they give us the flash of that scene in the beginning, yeah, right. I just kept being like, so when she uh, turned into a spider, at what point does she yeah. turn into a spider? Exactly. Is now the spider part like it? If they hadn't shown it to me when that happened, it would have been so surprising and kind of cool that it might have. Honest, I don't know if it would redeem the whole movie, but it would have been like, oh, what a great moment. But I just was watching it going, okay, when's the spider thing happen? So it, it felt kind of anticlimactic for me. I do hate that movie trope where it starts with a flashback and you're waiting the whole movie for it to catch up to where it was. Because you're right. I mean, it does rob the movie of a great deal of suspense. However, in this movie, it didn't have any suspense anyway, so <laughs> it doesn't really matter. Uh, what did you think of the spider lady, the kiss of the spider woman here, <laughs> Mike, in this <laughs> film? Um, immediately, when I saw the spider effects, I paused the movie. I texted uh, the director I'm working with right now um, on our low-budget feature, and I said, look, if they could get a fucking... CGI spider leg lady in their movie. You could turn me into a spider for uh, for our crime <laughs> film. So I'm I'm waiting to hear back from him. He hasn't been Your returning crime my, film. <laughs> yeah, he hasn't been returning my uh, my 87 calls since then. But um, needless to say, I I loved the fucking spider. I thought it was really cool. I even call I didn't call her a spider girl. I called her a spider lady. So just to show that it is a classy effect that they had. 
So over on the website letterboxd.com, uh, it's a place where uh, film fans can get, get together and leave reviews for movies. There is a review for this movie from a user named Sandworms who gave it half a star and said, I was excited to watch this because it has Eric Roberts, and I was convinced this would be good. I was a fool. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and the reason that Sandworms might say this is the Eric Roberts content in this movie hmm, is fairly slight, I would say. Uh, and in fact, Eric Roberts himself does not appear in this movie at all, even though on the poster it just says Eric Roberts in this Amityville Death House. Uh, Eric Roberts' voice appears in this movie. He's playing a character called the... Well, let's, let me pull it up here. He's playing a character called the Warlock in the movie, or at least he's credited as the Warlock. And we do see a person who is the Warlock in the movie being like the body double, but he's just kind of dubbed over this character who uh, who basically is supposed to be, I guess, commanding the witch to do his bidding. It's, it's never really uh, detailed what the fuck is going on. So it's a little hard to ask both of you what you thought of Eric Roberts' performance in this movie. So instead I'm going to ask you, starting with you, Mike, what did you think of the Eric Roberts bait and switch in this movie? I, you know, my first note was uh, around, I wrote Orson Welles in Transformers, because the, the first thing that I hear when Eric Roberts starts talking is I hear them put like a little reverb, or they put some kind of filter on his voice to, to make right. it more maybe demonic or warlocky or witchy, I don't know. And then that made me think, like, why the f- I think of Orson Welles in uh, Transformers where he played right. what, what's that fucking Transformer planet? But they put like this really de- they put an even deeper baritone on his <laughs> on his Orson Welles voice, and it's like why the fuck would you have Orson Welles do that and then put all those special audio effects on top of it? You can't even tell it's Orson Welles who has a distinct voice. And I mean Eric Roberts, you know he's he's no spring chicken. He's sexy as shit. But um, eventually, he he might turn into a um, an Orson Welles and need to rely more on his voice and uh, his vocal persona. So I don't know why he's already selling himself short, letting them put filters on top of him. But um, I mean, I, I feel like once once you've lent your voice to a talking cat, that you know, there's nowhere to go except Amityville Death House. And if this is his Unicron moment. Then let Unicron, it be yeah. Unicron. <laughs> that's the that's who he is <laughs> in this movie. Uh, they, What's look, the Talking they, Cat movie? What's the Talking Cat movie? That movie is a Talking Cat, directed by David Dakota, which is notably the mo- the movie that when I started this podcast, the one that people begged me to do more than any other, but uh, I didn't want to because there was an entire podcast devoted to that movie that was breaking it down minute by minute. Uh, called a talking podcast, I believe, and um, and so I didn't want to do uh, my take on it until they finished up. But uh, it is one of the most <laughs> ridiculous family movies you will ever see, and it has some of the worst quality audio that you'll ever hear. It sounds, I mean, every the common thing is that it sounds like Eric Roberts was recorded in a bathroom, and I believe that it's been confirmed that that's exactly what happened. It was all recorded in like an hour and a half in a bathroom. Well, here, also, here the audio is a lot is a lot more clear. I would say it is, and I also choose to believe that that is Eric Roberts as the Man in the Iron Mask, as the Warlock, or whatever the fuck it is. I think he did like a Jackie Earl Haley uh, Watchmen thing, and I think that was him. And he, I think he's just humble, and he reported otherwise that he just lent his voice. But um, <laughs> I choose to believe that he's also doing the uh, the motion capture work. Mike Delaney says, I want to believe. Over to Liam. Liam, 
Eric Roberts, were you upset with his lack of performance here? It it I mean, he adds something to the movie, and I'm not going to pretend he doesn't because um he seems to be the only person acting in the entire film. However, I can't believe that's him in the iron mask. He just <laughs> went into a goddamn studio and read something and that was it. And then I'm sold that he's in this movie. It it was disappointing. I was hoping there would be something. It, it didn't even need to be much. I mean, we've watched a lot of movies that he clearly showed up for one day and just like, you know, did a little song and dance and then went on with his life. I wanted at least that much. And we didn't even get that much. That's true. Though we do get some uh, some really wonderful maniacal laughter from Eric Roberts in this movie. And I should probably grab that clip so we can put it at the end of this episode. But I don't think I've heard him do maniacal, demonic laughter in the past. So uh, good on Eric Roberts. Speaking of good on Eric Roberts, let's get your guys' take. Is he, Eric Roberts the actor, the fucking man in Amityville Death House from 2015? I'm very curious to hear your answers. Start with you, Liam. Fucking man or no? No. Oh, my. Very decisive yeah, I mean, I hate to be, I, I, you know, I would always the bearer of bad Roberts. I would always prefer to be hyped on Mr. Roberts, but that you know, he's not even in the movie. Literally, he 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 recorded that for some book, and then they just stole it and put it in this movie. Basically, <laughs> that's your opinion. <laughs> Let's go over to Mike. Mike, fucking man. Oh, I mean, uh, fuck, uh, no, no, he's not, not in this movie. No, All right. Yeah. All right. All right. I, look, I hear where both of you are coming from, but let me tell you this: this movie without Eric Roberts is a lesser movie. It's a lesser production. It has lesser performances without him in it. He brought up the quality of the movie just by being there, just by having his voice on the soundtrack. So, with that in mind, I'm going to say Eric Roberts is the fucking man, and of course, my vote. Uh, dwarfs both of yours, uh, so technically he is the fucking man, uh, and you can just shove it, I guess. Um, anyone going to argue with that? I mean, I'm not. I'm not here for that. No, Dad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Liam, you are a co-host of this podcast, but I'm not here to argue with with my man's. If you if you're willing to forgive him for this, that's fine. There'll be further crimes against cinema for which we will have to decide to forgive Eric Roberts or not. If, if I learn nothing else from Eric Roberts' character in that CSI episode, it's that we need to forgive our trespasses. And just because he maybe is not putting the same level of effort here in this Amityville Death House movie as he did in that CSI episode, it doesn't matter because we can appreciate what he gives us all the more, for he is king, he is risen. And um, what I'm trying to say here is that I pray to Eric Roberts every night, and I think you should too. But with that in mind, we're done talking about these projects from Eric Roberts, the actor. We're going to take our final break. And when we return, we're going to talk to Mike Delaney and we're going to say goodnight. We'll be right back. You're breaking my heart. You're tearing it apart. So fuck you.
And here we are, completing Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man, number 43. We watched two episodes of CSI, and we watched the film Amityville Death House. Why did we watch it? Because we were commanded to by one Mr. Mike Delaney from the Splat House podcast. Mike, thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule to talk to us about Eric Roberts and his wonderful performances. You have been a delight, sir. Oh, and, thank uh, you, Doug. I mean, it really has been a real pleasure. Uh, we've had a lot of laughs, a few tears. Uh, and it is a, something that I wish to repeat in the near future. Mike, if people want to check out Splathouse, if they want to check out your other work, what's the best way for them to do so? Um, they could go to splathouse.com. We have a link to um, all of the, the podcasts directly on the website, links to Stitcher, iTunes. I don't know where, where we put it up. We put it up everywhere. So you could get it there. Um, it, we also have a lot of information on our live shows there. Um, so that's the, that's the best place. We are, we're also on Twitter at splathousepr. Um, so you could tweet at us and, um, we have a show dropping. Let's see. When does this air? We have a show that just dropped on Saturday, um, right. where we profile the, uh, the B film hobgoblins from 1988, the, uh, the Rick Sloan masterpiece. Uh, so Rick Sloan stopped by, we reenacted scenes from the movie. Uh, we wrote some original music. I think, uh, Christopher Watkins on that episode and <laughs> what else? Yeah. Um, and then after that, we're going to be having a chat with the cast of The Lost Skeleton of Cadavera, the uh, Larry Blamire film from 2001. Um, and then moving forward, we're profiling um, one of my favorites, Plan 9, with Rebecca McKendry from Shockwave's podcast. We're doing Hard Ticket to Hawaii. Um, we're talking to Jim Wernorski because he knew uh, Andy Sedaris in real life. Um, and then I Am a Ghost by H.P. Mendoza, little... Indie from 2012. And if people want to follow you directly on Twitter, is there a way to do that? I am at Mike D underscore splat. And Mike is someone that you should be following on Twitter. So I'm going to recommend you do that right now. We can wait. All right. We've waited, <laughs> waited long enough because we have another person that we can follow on the internet. Liam, what have you been up to aside from procreating? <laughs> um, Mostly just trying to get stuff going at Cinepunks. Um, it's hard to schedule around, you know, having a child. But uh, we've got some new writers over at the site. We just put out a new episode of Cinepunks and a new episode of Horror Business. And uh, we're talking to some people about adding their shows to our ever-growing media empire. And you can find you on Twitter as well, I believe. Yeah, at Liam Rules, uh, R-U-L-Z, of course. Of course, and you can find me, Doug Tilly, on Twitter at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. You can also find my other podcast, No Budget Nightmares, over at NoBudgetPodcast.com or do a search on Facebook if you want to join our Facebook group. But I'm sure you're here for more Eric Roberts, so you can, of course, follow Eric Roberts is the fucking man on Twitter at E-R-I-T-F-M or go to EricRobertsIsTheMan.com to get all previous episodes and subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever. You can also look for our Facebook group and just do a search for Eric Roberts is the man on Facebook. You can also find my work over at dorkshelf.com, as well as I have now joined the website thegrindhousechannel.com. You can find my writing there weekly uh, going forward from this point. Uh, for the foreseeable future, I'm going to be doing some uh, irreverent top five lists, and you can check those out, and I will link them ah, in various places. But with that said, I've had enough pimping. We had Eric Roberts pimping in that CSI episode. We've all been pimping our various projects since then. Enough with the pimping, all right? The buck stops here. We need to say goodnight. 
In a couple of weeks, we're going to be back with two more Eric Roberts masterpieces. But until then, you all go to sleep. Dream of Eric Roberts. Come back to us when you're ready. Good night, everybody. You guys can say good night, too. Good night. I sleep now. <laughs> Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. If there's anything that you can do, Eric Roberts fucking can.